Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage, where I join David Bellis, the founder of the Hong Kong history website Grulo.com at Lokfu MTR Station, as we head out on a walk and talk, heading past where the Kowloon Walled City used to be and on to San Po Kong. David Bellis has also just published his fourth volume of Old Hong Kong Photos and the Tales They Tell. David has kindly provided two copies of volume four for listeners to win. And I'll provide the question at the end of the programme. Here we are. Yes, we've uh, just come out of Lokfu MTR and walked down Junction Road. And we're in between two hills. And so since I've moved to Kowloon, I've got a little bit of a fascination with Kowloon's hills because most of them are gone. So how come these two are still here? Well, the one on the right, I don't know its official name, but I think listeners will probably have heard of Checkerboard Hill. It used to have a, a checkerboard painted on it, and it was a landmark for pilots flying into Kai Tak. And it's about the point where they would do that sort of handbrake turn and you know, sharp turn and down, line up with the runway. The checkerboard has faded over the years, and I know some people have hoped it could be repainted. You know, it's like a, a, a little, simple a few cans of paint, and you've got a bit of heritage back. Is it still there? They've just finished slope maintenance works and it's all gone. So I'm kind of crossing my fingers that someone will come back with a paintbrush, but not looking so good at the moment. So the idea was when the planes came in, was it to warn them of the hill, tell them to turn? You aim for the checkerboard (laughs) and when just before you hit it, you do a sharp right turn and then you're lined up for the the runway and you land and everyone breathes a sigh of relief. So the, the reason that the hill survived is nothing to do with the checkerboard. It's because there's a, a reservoir on top. So they obviously didn't want to lose the reservoir and ended up with a nice sharp cliff. And that's where the checkerboard was painted. And the one on the left, that survived. Well, you can see why. It's because there's a, a cemetery on the hillside. That goes back to about 1904. The hill, can you imagine looking at a picture of the old walled city, like the original Chinese walled city, and there was a sort of a triangular wall that ran up a hill behind it. So all that got dug away by the the Japanese during the Second World War as part of their expansion of Kaitak. But this side, with the cemetery on, got left. So that's why these two little hills still remain. So the cemetery goes back to 1904? Yes, it's a, a Chinese Christian cemetery back to 1904. So opposite we've got the Bishop Walsh Primary School and now we're walking down and it says in front of me, Welcome to Kowloon City District. So we've moved away from the traffic, David, so it's quite a relief and a little bit of bird sound. It's lovely here, isn't it? It's a beautiful sunny day. Yeah, birds are twittering away in the, in the trees. We're in front of the stone houses. That's what we've popped in here to look at. So just behind you there, there are these low stone houses. They're houses made from stone. The, the site here has got quite a history. There was a a mansion of some sorts here originally that goes back to the, the 19th century and then again as part of the, the Japanese influence on this area they cleared that away and apparently they built these houses I think there was a, a larger row of them originally after the war they have a time they were used as a film studio that's in the 1950s film studio moves out and then they become workshops um, they, there's various uh, different little industries located here and today they've been renovated and there's a, a lovely cafe. I was wondering if it was going to be shut with COVID, but it's, it's going strong as far as I can see. Yes, and everybody is sort of spaced out across the ground here. So these were built during the war? That's what the, that's what the information says, yes. 
Yeah, it's interesting because this isn't far from where I do RTHK, so I might pop down here. Yeah. Listeners might remember a few years ago we did a, a cluster of walks around the peak and around Mount Davis, and they were all because that's where I lived at the time, and they were all the things that I saw. And then about three years ago, almost to the day, we moved into Sampokong. So these are the the paths that we walk on a regular basis, and and these are some of the little surprises that we found. So the one next one is very close. It's just across the road. And I had in mind that this was a recent temple, something dating to the 50s, like the buildings here. And I was just looking back through the, the notes yesterday, and I got the wrong end of the stick. It goes right back to 1730, so it's almost 300 years old. Incredible. It's the, the Haowong Temple, it's called. And it was the, the local temple for the Chinese who were in Kowloon Walled City. So apparently they've got some, some relics from that time tucked away in the temple there. And so it's had a few restoration jobs since then. Definitely, yeah. We're not looking at the original, that's for sure. Oh, we're right next to the Kowloon Ward City. Yes, that's right. We've we've turned in at the temple into Dung Tai Chun Road. And on the right now, there's just a, a park. You don't think anything of it. But if you come here, what, about 30 years ago, then on the right, there was that real jumble of, of buildings and they had all the, the unlicensed dentists and the unlicensed doctors. Now, I did come here. It was just after I first arrived. And I, I came here because it was in my guidebook, but I, I didn't really have a feel for what I was looking at, which is a shame. I don't think I even took any pictures. And of course, it's all, all gone now. And there was also that spaghetti of electric wiring inside. Yes, I've, I've got the, uh, the books by Greg and Ian, Ian Lambo. But he's got these wonderful pictures of the kids playing on the roofs and just running around like, you know, nothing out of the ordinary and surrounded by electrical cables, as you say. Now, inside the park, they do have the remains of the original walled city, the Chinese walled city. So as we walk down the road, we've got Kowloon City to our right, Lokfu to our left, Sampo Kong sort of over in the corner there, and Kowloon Peak straight ahead on this lovely sunny day, just passing the twirling cylinders of a hairdresser's. But actually, this is on a morning interview, and there's still a few places to open. So time for another little pause. We've come down Tonglong Road, and we're looking over a a bunch of demolished buildings and this was the site of Ngachin Wai which any time you hear a Wai was, was one of the old walled villages and we've got a map from about 1904 and it shows what looks like a moat and a wall around the village so it must have been quite a, quite a thing to see today the trees are still left it's a URA urban renewal authority site which is code for knock it all down and build a skyscraper so I'm not sure what we'll, we'll have left at the end but I am curious because there are several sites which have got these green sort of tarpaulins over them and I think they've had uh, archaeologists in doing a dig so I was uh, quite curious to hear if you'd heard anything about the projects here or what they found. No, I need to have an, another look at Nachin Wai actually because I was uh, I walked around with historian Patrick Hayes when Nachin Wai still existed oh, so that would be about uh, hmm, 16 years ago, something like that So, and I, I, yeah, I did feel it, you can't keep everything but uh, for me, it's a travesty that it's gone, really. I mean, it was uh, hundreds of years old. So we just crossed. Would you just, is this a river or a nullah? Well, now there's a question. It was originally the Kaitak Nullah. And if you remember landing at Kaitak, and there was that stinky stretch of water alongside the runway. The aromatic. Oh, sorry, aromatic. <laughs> Fragrance, even. Well, anyway, this, is, this emptied into that. Oh, OK. Uh, and it, it was horrible. And it, you know, it had uh, factories and human waste and all sorts of stuff running in there. It's been cleaned up, 
And one of the problems with it in the summer was the water level was too low, and so all the horrible stuff would just sit and fester. And they fixed that by they piped the water from the, the I think it's the Sartin sewage site, so the, the treated water, of course. And so now we get a good flow of water through here. And they've opened it up across the old Kaitak site, so it's going to be one of the features there. And it has now been rebranded to the Kaitak River. The Kaitak River? Oh, yes. We know Nullas around here. <laughs> Well, so here we are, and in fact, just as we were walking across, there's a few people with fishing line, and they've just pulled out uh, quite a large fish, actually. And then there's a lovely tall heron that's standing on a rock just further down. I think he's thinking that was my dinner. <laughs> yes, yes. But I mean, unless they staged it, because we were coming up. <laughs> <laughs> now, the people here, I've seen they catch them and they do sell them. And although the, the river has been cleaned up quite a lot, uh, looking at some of the stuff that flows in here, I, I don't think I'd be wanting to eat the fish. No, fair enough. Mm. But uh, still, it's it's uh, better than it was, let's say. A lot, lot better, that's right. Now, it's an interesting history. It was built around, again, it's sort of all linked back to the Japanese time. When they expanded the airport north, then this ran along the edge of it. So this is kind of the, the boundary of the old Japanese airfield. So everything in front of us here would have been airfield in the... 40s and 50s. Interesting. And uh, right in front of us actually is quite an old building. I mean, I would say that's that that must be 50 years old, so it's just the one directly in front. Yeah, so what you're looking at then is, you know, the long runway that sticks out into the sea? So that was built in the 1950s. And then the, the centre of the airport shifted south to be close to there. And this land up here, so between the Nulla and Prince Edward Road, this was kind of surplus to requirements and it got redeveloped so that's all the, the buildings that you see from that 50s, 60s time we just turned in from the Nulla we're on Tungfat Road and it's somewhere that we come along on a Sunday morning sometimes they have a flea market and I'm actually surprised that here we are on a Thursday and it's, it's set out as well. well should we go and have a look? Well every time I come here thinking there's going to be a photo album sitting there you know with my name on it, it hasn't <laughs> happened yet <laughs> So what's the normal gear? I can see a rice cooker there I think it's all the people who go and collect the rubbish and it's all the little things they find. Oh, that could be a heritage. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you pay the full $10, they think you're an idiot. You've got to haggle them down to sort of seven, seven or eight. Seven or eight and you're still obviously not local. Do you know, it's interesting looking around us here, David, um, and I think walks with you always makes me, because you're so sort of observant also with all your photographs, actually makes me pay attention more to my surroundings. Often I've got my head down thinking about the next thing I'm doing. But I really need to return to the theme of public housing because I've done a few programmes on, you know, the advent of public housing, how it was designed, what it was there for. But what I really haven't looked at is the architecture of public housing and particularly over the different decades. And the fact that I'm seeing more and more posts on things like Facebook actually saying about how attractive some of it is, you know, which is true, yeah. that they've really made an effort with colours and design. Yeah, there's the estate that we passed um, just after the Kowloon Wall City. That has a, a central walkway that runs right through. I don't think you'd go there if you didn't live there, but it's quite a bit of thought put into that, and it's, uh, it's attractive in its own way. So what's the mountain range that we're now looking at as we walk forward? So these are the, the mountains that run along at the back of Kowloon. So at the right, we've got Kowloon Peak, and then you'd swing around, you come to Sartin Pass, and a bit further on, you've got Lion Rock, and then Beacon Hill. So it's a lovely, lovely ridge. There's the Macklehose runs along a lot of it. So a day like today would be beautiful up there. Can you tell from the smell what we're next to? 
was it? A bit of a spice somehow. Quite tangy, isn't it? We're, we're on Taising Street, and this is one of Kowloon's biggest wet markets. So it's a fantastic selection inside there, everything you, you need. Um, and that's been one of the, the nice surprises of coming over here, is, is just the variety of local food and things you can get. This road, Taising Street, just sort of keep the line of it in mind, and we're going to go up onto a footbridge, and I'll, I'll tell you a little story about it. I, I find quite fascinating. Okay, so to give you a little background, I'm going to look at a map. This is a map from the 1950s of the area that we're in. You can see the line of the Nulla, and you can see the old runway uh, running along here. And this follows the line of the, the street we're on, Tysing Street. Now, as the planes got bigger and heavier and faster, they needed a longer runway. And so what they ended up doing was extending it across the Nulla here. So as you walk across, you'll notice the bridge seems exceptionally wide for a road. You know, it's way, way wider than you'd ever need. And it's because originally it was a bridge for planes. And so if we look at pictures from the day, the traffic lights that we see today are to give way to cars, but the traffic lights in the 50s were so that the, the planes could come and land. So a barrier would come down across the road, all the traffic would, would wait patiently, and a, a plane would come roaring in. Fantastic. It must have been great for kids to watch. Yes. Well, that, that's the end of the, the heritage bits. But there's one last surprise I want to show you. When I moved to Sampakong, I thought, you know, for, for local markets, local food, local experience, it was going to be great. But it, I didn't expect to find one of Hong Kong's best English language bookstores hidden here. And it's guaranteed you won't stumble across it. It's on the 27th floor of an office building. But let me go and take you over there now. Oh, yes, please. Well, I'm sitting with David Bellis, the man of Grulo and uh, we've got volume four of old Hong Kong photos and the tales they tell. And we've just been wandering around in Kowloon near where, where David lives and uh, we've popped up into the lovely Bleak House books where it's also for sale. So, David, tell me about volume four. This is the purple edition. So we've <laughs> been working our way through the rainbow. We've had red, green and blue. This is purple. If you're from Britain, hopefully it's giving you sort of pleasant chocolatey thoughts when you look at it. <laughs> it looks a little bit like a Cadbury's, Cadbury's wrapper. Similar idea as, as the previous volumes. We take a selection of pictures from my collection and we put them under the, the magnifying glass and we just try and find out, you know, little, little quirky stories to tell you about them. So uh, I think for the first section, you know, if, if I had to give the book an alternative title, it would be Not As Dull As It Looks. <laughs> we've, we've got this album that was compiled in 1929, and a lot of the pictures just show buildings on hillsides, and you look at it thinking, well, that's a bit dull. But we've, uh, we've dug into them to, to find out their stories. Uh, this one's a favourite. It's two houses perched on a hill. took quite a while to work out exactly where the picture was taken. There's no, no landmarks or features to, to see. But one of our eagle-eyed readers on Gulo pointed me to another picture we've used before. And here they are. They're up on top of a hill. And if you can imagine Stubbs Road, it's the little hill between Wan Chai Gap and Magazine Gap. So they're up there. And they had this fantastic view. You can see they, they looked out over Hong Kong, the harbour, across to Kowloon. And that was their, their downfall. They could be seen from just about anywhere. So after the Japanese victory in December 41, the Japanese got to work on a, a war memorial to commemorate their war dead and celebrate their victory. And obviously they wanted a position that could be seen from just about anywhere. And so these houses were knocked down pronto. Uh, a big granite platform was built 
uh, on the site, and a, a huge concrete war memorial was was built there. So when the British returned in '45, the first thing they set to was you know knocking down this memorial. But it was a very huge, solid construction. It took them well over a year. The engineers hollowing it away and hollowing it away, and they were finally able to demolish it in '47. So war memorial has gone, but the big granite platform they built for it is still there today and according to legend the Japanese laid a very valuable rare sword in the foundations during the initial sort of dedication of the site and that is believed to still be there today. Have any of the metal detector crew gone up? <laughs> well unfortunately there are new buildings on the site so you'd have to be tapping on somebody's door saying don't mind me if I just metal detect across your living room floor. I think we found something. <laughs> Now, with Volume 4, Volume 3, when we looked at it, we described it as harbour-y photos. So there was a lot of water-based uh, submarines in, in, in a dock where they were being done up a little bit and uh, various. So you had the Tamar, you had coal stokers in 1902. So what would you say is the theme of Volume 4? We haven't got a single theme through this. The photos fall into four groups. So the first section is this 1929 album. Then we switch gears to look at people who use shoulder poles. This is another surprise to me, that those people in the mansions we just saw, living up on the hilltops, just about everything they, they consumed was delivered on a shoulder pole. And women, women kind of had the monopoly on, on this work. So I don't know if you've ever walked up Old Peak Road, but it's a climb. You, you're going to be out of breath by the time you get to the top. And these women would would walk up and down that road every day of their lives and here's a picture of one delivering coal imagine how heavy those baskets would have been so the the fireplaces in the, the mansions at the top there were fueled by these women carrying it all up on their shoulders have you ever tried carrying one of these poles with with bags balanced no i, I imagine you've got to get into quite a specific rhythm to be able to to even move with them Yes, where I live, on, on Lama, there's a village that's half an hour away from the sea and the ferry, and there's still a couple of ladies, well over 80, who, who live in that village, and they get a rhythm going, they just slap, 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 slap with their, their flip-flops as mm -hmm. they go along, or their sandals, and that's how they get their goods from Aberdeen, put them in two of these stripy armour bags, yeah. and, and then fixed on, and then home. And they're, you know four foot five foot they're, they're not very big ladies at all and um the one day i said oh I'll, I'll just i'll try and i'll help and i put it on my shoulder and it nearly went through my shoulder blade yes. uh, and it was i don't know what they're made of and i i went uh, along with this and it was absolutely killing me and i had a, a british friend james along and i said hey let me take a photo of you with it and i got him to put it on and then i ran <laughs> <laughs> so, but yes, it would have taken real, well, skill. Yeah. Um, there's a, definitely a science to the whole balance, mm. but um, so I don't know quite how that works in terms of how much weight you're actually taking, but yes, it's, it would have been gruelling. The, the poles that they use on Lama now, do you know what they're made of? Uh, bamboo, I'd have thought. Right. We have bamboo on top of um, the one mountain there, or hill because um, it creaks, so I don't oh, go up there in the dark, yeah, 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 so I only, I only go up there in bright daylight. <laughs> yeah, and looking at these ones, I can't quite work out what they're made from. We do see one a bit further on, which is definitely bamboo. It's funny, I, the first one I saw was, was, to me, it was too thick. I thought, oh, that, there's no way that could be used. 
But then later on we come to a, a picture, I think even from the 60s. And this man is carrying, he's got, I mean... <laughs> huge about, boxes. Yeah, huge boxes and a, and a sideboard. He doesn't look particularly bothered. He's strolling along. Incredible, isn't it? So that's the, uh, that's the sequence, the second sequence. They're all people carrying shoulder poles. It's very interesting also because, um, yeah, you have this, this theme of the shoulder pole people, yeah. uh, often barefoot, and um, so barefoot going into, well, really, th th what would you say is the later dec decade shown here? Yeah, we end up with this one. Well, it's got a, an adver advertisement for Green Spot, so we're into the 60s here. Yes. Green Spot lemonade or orange juice, whatever. So he must have had really quite hardened skin, I would hope, on the, on the bottom of his feet. What's also good about this whole pole-carrying uh, section, of course, is you see bags of neon signs behind and signage of, of all the shops. Um, the, the vehicles from that time as these people are going along the street and uh, some of the buildings and windows. Well, this one, it's funny, you're right, it does have a load of signs, but we really struggled to pin down the location. And then again, uh, a reader on the website, they just noticed at the very edge of the, the page, almost cut off, you just get to see a gatepost, if you can spot it there. And that still exists today. If you've ever been out to Bees River oh. Country Club, it's the old gates that were built for the Jardine Grand Residence at East Point near Causeway Bay. Now, when they sold that land to the, I think it to the Lee family, they kept the gates and they moved them to their, their sort of warehouses nearer to the sea, and that's where we're looking at them in the picture here. And then when that land was again sold on, then the gates were rebuilt up at Bees River. But a, a little oddity that I note in the book is they seem to have been built back to front. So this is the entrance to Bees River, but you're actually entering through the back of the gates. It's a little, little odd, odd story to tell. Where do you find these photographs? Do you, I mean, did you say, right, okay, I'm just going to build up a collection of pole carriers, or is this sort of photographs that you've collected over a number of years? If it's albums, then I look through the album and I, I try and find the interesting photos. And then at other times, I'll just have a, a riffle through the boxes of photos I have and just trying to think of themes or things that will, I hope, be interesting to readers. So the, there is a theme of the, sh the, the shoulder poles. This man's watering his vegetables up above Causeway Bay, for example. Yeah, so he's got the pole across his back. So some people will have the pole across one shoulder, which is my shopping ladies. Uh -huh. um, but the, the, we're seeing also a number of people who are carrying it like you would carry a milk yolk. But here, yes, he's got a pole of bamboo and then two large watering cans where he's irrigating the field. Yes. I came to Lama trying to find the picture that I had in mind for this. Because if you go out hiking sometimes you'll come across these sort of square ponds and they've got a little staircase going down the middle. And obviously if you had a pole with a watering can on either side, you could walk down the steps, dunk your cans, fill them up and be back out into the fields in a, in a jiffy. And I remembered seeing one on the way to Loso Singh Beach, but when I got there with my camera, it's all overgrown. So I've just had to tell people and hopefully they'll be able to imagine it. Or well, perhaps we can go and clear it. <laughs> on a mission. <laughs> I'm talking with David Bellis, the founder of the Hong Kong history website, Gwulo.com. We're talking about his latest volume, volume four, of old Hong Kong photos and the tales they tell. So we're identifying buildings, or rather David is, and uh, we're looking at people with poles. <laughs> That's right. So section three, 
we go back to albums, but this is an older one. This was by Mr. R.C. Hurley, who pops up several times in Hong Kong history. And who is he? Well, he's, he had a, a whole range of different jobs that he did, but at one point he was a tour guide. And I think perhaps as a sideline to that, he, he produced um, guidebooks that he'd sell to tourists. So I think that's how he earned a bit of extra money. And this is one from 1902. And this, this you're asking where the photos come from. This one was uh, very kindly given to me as a, as a donation. They're all dated to 1902, and we start off with a race day at Happy Valley. Now, in 1902, Happy Valley was also the sporting centre for Hong Kong. So the people on the outside are looking at the horses, and you can see the horses running along. The people on the inside couldn't care less. There's a cricket game going on. There's probably a football game going on over here. They had hockey pitches. They had uh, golf as well. I do worry about how the golf people and everyone else kind of happily lived together, but they must have had some sort of timetable, I guess. That's an incredible shot. When does that date back to? Yeah, 1902. Everything in this album taken in 1902. So one thing that caught my eye is, as the horses are running by, can you see all the dust that they're, they're kicking up? So if we come along to the next picture that I've chosen, it's a group of people, but this is a group of people pulling a wagon. Now, I've seen this described in another book as carrying a coffin, but it's not. It's a, a metal tank, and there's a semicircle pipe out the back. So 1902, we didn't have tarmac roads yet. So the roads would get very dusty, like the horses oh. kicking up the road, the dust in the previous picture. And the government would put out tenders for teams to pull their water trucks. And this would be spraying the water to keep the dust down. And what road are they going along there? Today this would be Queensway yes. in Admiralty. Yes. Yeah, nice wide road. So these are the old naval and army buildings on the right here. So in, in sometimes we take a theme and we'll, we'll move through time. And then here we've taken a moment and we've moved through Hong Kong instead. So this is coming to Statue Square and it's where this is where the Cenotaph will be built. And the Cenotaph, you know, that, that's got a lovely manicured lawn around it. And here it's this messy, messy building site. It was uh, it's like this for more than ten years. So is that the old Hong Kong club? It is indeed. Yes, they were one of the people that were complaining because not only was it <laughs> a building yard, but they had the the tar cauldrons so by that time they had got round to doing the tarmac and they had these cauldrons of bubbling tar and you can imagine the smell from, from those. And then in the last section, and sort of coming back a little bit to Sampogong, we look at Kowloon. We start off down with the station, the old station on the, the point of Chim Sa Choi, and we look at the peninsula. Here's a funny little discovery. The original plans for the Peninsula Hotel included an operating theatre. Why? They don't say, and I'd love to know. Why would you build a hotel with its own operating theatre? If you're a surgeon and you're staying here and you want a bit of practice... If you're worried about your appendix, we're the place to be. Is that, do you think that's what it was, to, to provide private health care? I wonder if they, if they were worried about the time it would take to get across the harbour and to a hospital. I, I don't know, I'm, I'm struggling here. So that was, what, you found that on the original architectural plans? No, this is when they were first announcing it in the newspapers. So this was Mr. Taggart, the GM, you know, telling the newspapers about about his great new hotel he was going to be building. We've got and a spa. Yes. A band. Uh, and an operating theatre. <laughs> All your needs are covered. Now, this was the, the tallest building in Kowloon at the time. Gin and tonic, anaesthetic. <laughs> so we're, we're looking at 
Austin Road, and we're looking to the north. And in the 50s, it looks very much like today, very built-up area. But in about 1900, this would have been the end of Nathan Road. The land to the north were rifle ranges. Obviously, you didn't want people walking across the, the rifle ranges. That was out of bounds. So, you'd, so what I'm looking at, you would have Austin Road, Nathan Road, Austin Road, and then British Army rifle ranges or...? Just open land, that's right. So ah. very, very different looking uh, Kowloon Peninsula. Now, after the lease of the new territories, and that included the land where we are today, Sampogong, there was a chance to move the rifle ranges to this, this new land. So they came out here to, to near Kowloon City. And then the old rifle ranges, the old land north of Austin Road, that became King's Park. And then there was the chance to extend Nathan Road. The rifle ranges out here by Kowloon City, eventually they were closed as well, and they became Morse Park. So the big open area of Morse Park was where the, the rifle ranges used to be. My thanks to David Bellis for his tour of Lok Fu to San Po Kong and showing me some lovely rare photographs of old Hong Kong in old Hong Kong photos and the tales they tell, volume four. If you'd like to have a go at winning one of two copies of David's latest book, then email me the answer to the following question from David. This is the fourth book and each has a colour down the side. What were the colours of the first three books? So what were the colours of the first three volumes of Old Hong Kong Photos and the Tales They Tell? If you could email me the answer, my email is hkhradio3 at gmail.com. And the first two people with the correct answer will win a copy. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage. Mm -hmm.